are y'all? Welcome to another episode of the Good News Cast. Thanks for listening. Uh, you just got me today, and we're gonna do. We're gonna be talking about uh, all things uh, the current social justice movement, wokeness, being woke. Um, Jeff and I have done podcasts on this before, um, but uh, I wanted to put out a couple of episodes. Not sure how many episodes I'm gonna, I'm gonna put out, but um, recently read a lot of the leading books, literature. Um, and ended up writing a 16, 17 page uh, uh, paper kind of summarizing a lot of what I learned about um, the current social justice movement, in particular, how it uh, pertains to uh, race, racialization, uh, uh, racial reconciliation, uh, these sorts of things. And so I'm basically going to be going off of that, off of a lot of that content that I ended up putting together um, and turning it into into these podcast episodes. Again, um, I, I have a lot of the content mapped out, don't know how many episodes I'll end up um, putting together. Um, but here's where a lot of this comes from. About 10 years ago, I was at a Christian conference and uh, there was a um, maybe a breakout session uh, uh, about about this topic of race, uh, racism in America. And, um, and one, I I remember, I don't remember who it was, but it was, uh, it was a, I I do remember, I think it was a well-known, um, black Christian, um, leader of some sort. I can't remember if it was like an artist, a pastor, who it was. And he said, uh, kind of in conclusion, um, uh, to, I think maybe this breakout session or at some point in the conference, he said, you know, people ask me, what can I do to help? What can I do to help racial reconciliation in America? And his answer was, just be aware. His, his, his ultimate answer was, at least, or just be aware. Be aware of, of you know, racial problems in America. And I bring that story up because fast forward about 10 years to today, and, and man, have things changed. I mean... The, the answer of be aware is far from everything that, that we're hearing today about racial reconciliation and what we should be doing, the calls to action, what it means to be an anti-racist, all these things. A lot has changed. A lot has changed. And that even feels like an understatement over the last 10 years about what we, what the culture, what the church, what a lot of people seem to think about the racial, um, uh, about racial relationships in America, uh, our view of America, all these sorts of things. And so I want to dive into what does it all mean? What, what are the, the big ideas out there? What is, what does it mean to be woke or what is the current social justice movement, uh, saying? And so, um, I've been listening to this stuff, reading it, listening to it for the past decade. The the past year uh, really took a deep dive into a lot of the leading voices and leading uh, literature. Um, read books like The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, who was on Jimmy Fallon at one point, incredibly influential person and book in this um, in this movement. How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi and, and a number of others. Uh, other books. Those three books that are really pivotal to a lot of the content I'm going to put in these episodes. And there are basically four main headings that I kind of uh, wrote in, in response. Um, uh, number one, what's the big idea? What is the current social justice movement about? What is it saying? What are we saying and what are we talking about? What are people talking about when they talk about racial reconciliation or kind of on the ground lingo? What does it mean to be woke? What is wokeness all about? Number two, what are the calls to action? What are people saying, this is what you should be doing? 
specifically, what does it mean to be an anti-racist? That's kind of the new term being used. You need to be an anti-racist. What does that actually and precisely mean? Number three is really kind of where I get into a lot of my response concerning number three, uh, what is, how should we think about the reasoning of all of these things, Christian or not? If you're a Christian or not, do these ideas hold up or not? Is the reasoning good? Is the supporting evidence good? Is the logic good? Number four, if you are a Christian, how should you think about this stuff biblically? Um, what is the the biblical soundness and biblical nature of all of these things? What is what is good? What is bad? What is biblical? What's unbiblical? Those are kind of my four main headings. And so we're going to get into what just on this episode, I'm just going to talk about the big idea. What in the world is the modern current social justice movement talking about in per, when it pertains particularly to all things race, racism, racialization, racial reconciliation? What does it mean primarily and principally to be woke? That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, let me make two prefaces first. Um, it, it should go without saying um, I think it probably did go without saying, you know, uh, maybe 10 years ago, but it should go without saying, um, I, as a Christian, uh, condemn racism, period, full stop, uh, condemn racism. Uh, my church condemns racism. We do it. We, we do that privately. We do that publicly. We call people to repentance, um, who, who are racist or do racist things, um, totally aware of, ama- of America's vile history with racism and things like slavery and, and just the horrific reality um, uh, that, uh, that is in America's history with these things. Um, all right, that's my first main preface to make that extremely and explicitly clear. Again, something we make clear here at my church uh, in private conversation publicly uh, from the stage on Sunday mornings. Um, everything I just said would come as zero surprise to anyone who knows me, uh, knows our senior pastor, knows the people here, uh, uh, our, our church family who knows us. Um, second pre- premise, why get into all this preface, excuse me, why get into all this stuff? There's a lot of reasons to get into all of this stuff. Um, if you think, why get into all of this? This is just about politics. This is the good news cast. Let's talk theology, et cetera. Well, number one, even if all of this is totally in the political sphere, the Bible absolutely shapes and informs how we are to think about, well, absolutely everything, okay? Um, and that includes political engagement, social engagement. Um, and so as we get into this, I think you'll see that that, um, that, that the Bible is going to shape how we think about a lot of these things. Number two, um, if your pastor uh, thinks uh, along the turn, uh, along the lines of uh, wokeness, if, you're, if your Christian friends do that sort of thing, it could mean a lot, a lot of significant things about how they live out their faith, um, about uh, how they view their church, their congregants, how they do pastoral care, how they preach. This stuff has wide-reaching effects and implications um, for pastoral ministry, for church life, for discipleship, all that kind of stuff. And hopefully um, I can I can kind of show that and make sense of that. So those are my two prefaces. Uh, let's get into it. What is the big idea concerning social justice? You have probably heard a ton about social justice, racial reconciliation, wokeness, and uh, you may be extremely confused 
on what it all actually means. What in the world are we talking about? It seems like terms have changed, definitions have changed. I thought racism meant this, but it apparently means that. What in the world are we even talking about when it comes to this subject? Let's get into that. Again, I'm using three primary books to put together what is being said about uh, racial reconciliation and race and racism, all things race, racism in America. I'm, I'm pulling mainly from The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby, White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, and How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. And then, of course, all sorts of other things I've read and heard, but those are the kind of the primary sources. Here's, uh, here's where we have to begin. Racism has not gone away. According to the modern thinking and modern messaging around race and racism in America, racism has not gone away. If anything, it has gotten worse. Jamar Tisby writes, quote, history demonstrates that racism never goes away. It just adapts. Racism, quote, remains a persistent problem, and quote, the racial divide between Christians has in some ways become even starker in recent years. I would agree with Jamar Tisby that the racial divide has become even starker, but for reasons probably totally different than, than he would say. So racism has not gone away. If anything, according to Tisby, it's gotten worse. Okay, it's gotten worse in recent years compared to history uh, uh, in America. Uh, how has the racial divide uh, become even starker today, given the progress we seem to have made? That's kind of the first thing where at least my mind goes to is like, oh man, that sounds crazy to say that the racial divide between Christians has become starker, that racism has only adapted and maybe even gotten worse. How is that possible when, if you compared America today versus America even 50 years ago and, and hundreds of years ago, it clearly seems to be way worse in our history. So how is it, how is it potentially the same or, or even worse? Here's the answer. Racism hasn't gone away. It's just adapted. It has morphed. It has changed. It has evolved. Society in America has evolved to essentially hide racism. So progress has not really been made at all. Racism just looks different. It just looks different, and in particular, it, it it's hard to see, but we'll get into that. So progress has not really been made. Racism just looks different. That's, that's a part of the big idea um, of this uh, current movement um, and messaging. Even when progress seems to have been made, there's always another answer for it. I'll give you an example. Robin D'Angelo, she was on Jimmy Fallon. She wrote the book White Fragility that is incredibly influential um, on, on this uh, topic. She tells kind of the story. She, she comes from, I think, like a corporate training, uh, racial sensitivity training in, in kind of corporate America, different businesses. She says early, in her early days of training, she would receive more resistance. But then as time went on, as years went on, she seemed to receive less and less resistance towards her training. Is this progress? You would say, well, that seems to be cultural progress, that our society, our culture is not as resistant to, to these ideas about racial reconciliation. But she says, no, no, it's not progress. That is not a sign of progress. She says that was a sign that she has just become a better trainer. Somehow she trains differently to get around that resistance. So even when progress seems to have been made, there's surely another answer for it. It's not actually progress. So today, racism is just as sinister, sinister as ever, maybe more so. It's just evolved to be stealthy, okay? Um, this might sound self-defeating, 
in this argument, but the idea is that our society now largely, by and large, totally condemns racism, and therefore our society has learned to hide it. So on the one hand, we condemn it by and large. Um, by by and large, I mean I mean like sure you could find some tiny fringe group that is just openly and explicitly racist. By and large, I mean like it's very hard to find anyone who wouldn't publicly um, condemn uh, all forms of racism. So our society, though it condemns racism, is simultaneously hiding all of it. Okay. Sounds self-defeating, but but that's that's the idea. Racism is deeply baked into our society. It is deeply, deeply baked into our society and our way of life um, in, in every way. It just looks way different than it did uh, many decades ago, hundreds of years ago. Um, it is so foundational to life in America, racism is, and in the church, not just America, but in the church, that it is invisible. It is invisible. Robin D'Angelo writes in White Fragility, quote, the dimensions of racism benefiting white people are usually invisible to whites. Okay, so they can't see it. And, quote, in fact, much of white supremacy's power is drawn from its invisibility. So perhaps because it's invisible, maybe it is more powerful. And that's where and precisely how white supremacy is so powerful because it's invisible uh, to, to whites. Uh, Jamar Tisby writes along the same line of thinking at this point, he says, quote, at this point, readers of this book, readers of his book, Color of Compromise, may be searching for the proverbial, quote, smoking gun, explicit evidence that connects the American church with overt cooperation with racism. In other words, he's saying, I know right now, readers, I'm making claims about racism in America, and I'm making claims about racism in the church today, and you're probably looking for explicit evidence. Quote, explicit evidence. He goes on, but racism, since it is socially constructed, adapts when society changes. Since the late 1960s, the American church's complicity in racism has been less obvious. Note that he doesn't say America's, uh, um, the American church's uh, condition of racism um, uh, or complicity in racism has decreased, has gone away. It is still there in full force. It's just less obvious. He goes on, quote, Nowadays, all the American church needs to do in terms of compromise is cooperate with already established and racial unequal social syst- racially unequal social systems, end quote. So in other words, he says, now you don't have to be explicit with in your racism. Essentially, all you really need to do is wake up and be an American. All you need to do is wake up and and function as a normal American. Um, and, and because racism is already baked into our society, from everything from concrete institutions, laws, and policies to just uh, more vague ideas of the way we live life, you just have to wake up and live life, and you are compromising with racism. You're compromising at best. You're cooperating with it. Okay, uh, D'Angelo does this same thing concerning evidence. Uh, she doesn't point to a smoking gun either. Um, she actually begins her book that is all about the idea that racism is everywhere, and she begins it by saying that she will not, quote, attempt to prove that racism exists. She says, quote, I start from that premise. So a book that that you would think 
you would think the book would absolutely include an entire chapter at a minimum proving the foundational premise that racism is everywhere begins by saying, I'm not going to attempt to prove it. I am starting from that premise that is the assumption of this book that it's absolutely everywhere. No need to show you a smoking gun or reason from from evidence, okay? So racism is invisible today. It is largely invisible. Tisby writes that racism is, quote, covert, embedded in the normal operations of institutions, and it avoids direct racial terminology, making it invisible to most white people, end quote. So it's embedded in the normal ways of life in America, our institutions. It, it doesn't like direct racial terminology. Again, because as a society we condemn it, we, we hide it through indirect kind of racial language. Um, and this, this, he says, makes it invisible to most white people. Okay? It, it's just something white people can't even see. They just perpetuate uh, without knowing it. So racism is everywhere. D'Angelo summarizes her argument writing, quote, white people raised in Western society are conditioned into a white supremacist worldview because it is the bedrock of our society and its institutions, end quote. It is white people are raised in this. It's the air they breathe. Uh, they don't even know, like a fish doesn't even know it's wet. A white person does not even know they have a white supremacist worldview. Okay. Ibram Kendi, writer of the incredibly influential popular book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, says that our country is founded on a, quote, colorblind constitution for a white supremacist America. End quote. He says, quote, to be an American is to be white, end quote. Okay, so while America is, America's history is full of brazen, open, obvious racism, evil racism, today's racism is essentially invisible. But it's just as bad as the historically overt, discernible racism that plagues American history. So the question today is, Again, this is all trying to summarize what does it mean to be woke? What is what are these leading voices saying about racial reconciliation and this in the in the status of race and racism in America? The question is not where is racism in America or am I racist? At least not for white people uh, concerning the question of am I racist? The question is is there anything that is not perpetuating racism today? Is there anything that is not racist today? That's, that's the question that wokeness is, is, uh, is really asking, in a sense. And it's really not asking that. Um, but that's the question. That's the question in light of these ideas. Is there anything that's not racist or perpetuating racism? Tisby writes that America, America's leaders, quote, embedded race into the foundation of both the fledgling American nation and the church. Both the, the, the American nation and the American church now having a, quote, flawed foundation that Jesus needs to, quote, deconstruct and, quote, remake into a house for all nations. Uh, it's the bedrock. Uh, uh, race and ultimately racism is in the foundation of America and the American church, and Jesus needs to, quote, deconstruct it all and remake it. Now, does this mean that everyone is racist? This is where we start to get into, and we, we've got to get into the definition of racism, because this is where things can get uh, pretty confusing. Uh, does this mean everyone is racist? Here's what Robin D'Angelo concludes in her book. Quote, your parents could not have taught you not to be racist, and your parents could not have been free of racism themselves. 
A racism-free upbringing is not possible because racism is a social system embedded in the culture and its institutions. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. What does it mean that racism is a social system? Uh, in other words, to avoid racism, this is me speaking, and to avoid racism is like trying to avoid being an American if you are born a citizen of America. It's just not possible. So her massive significant conclusion is that quote we must continue to ask how our racism manifests not if it's not a question of if it's a question of how is uh, your racism uh, manifesting itself particularly if you are white now right here we've got to get real clear on the definition of racism um, you've probably been confused maybe if you've tried to listen to some of this about what racism even means Okay, here's what Robin D'Angelo says. Racism is, this is, quote, racism is deeply complex and nuanced, and given this, we can never consider our learning to be complete or finished, end quote. You've probably felt that, that, that this whole conversation about race, racism, racial reconciliation seems incredibly complex, incredibly, you've probably heard this word, nuanced. It's a nuanced conversation. Um, for most of us, we experience it all as just utterly confusing, Sometimes we thought we understood what racism meant, um, but but it's very complex. It's very uh, nuanced. So if you think racism is describing an individual who believes that they are superior to another person based on skin color, that might be a part of the definition, the, the kind of the popular, more academic definition of racism today. But that's really probably not what is being uh, talked about. Okay, uh, James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose in their fantastic book, Cynical Theories, if you want to dive into all the different theories like um, that, that, that today's uh, wokeness draws from, gender theory, uh, critical race theory, uh, all these sorts of things, um, get that book, Cynical Theories. Uh, they say that, that racism is referring to a system of oppression based on race. Okay, it's this whole, it's this whole system of laws, policies, institutions, way, ways of life that, that all is oppressing people based on an idea of race and varying races. We'll get into all this a bit more. So D'Angelo says racism is about a, quote, racialized system that permeates all interactions in society yet is largely invisible except to those who experience it or who have been trained in the proper, quote, critical methods that train them to see it. In other words, the, the racist system of American society is invisible to you unless you have been oppressed by it, you've been a victim of it, or you are like Robin D'Angelo and you've been trained in the critical methods, like critical race theory, to see it and understand it. So if you're just kind of like the average Joe Schmo, Joe Schmo white guy or white gal, you and you haven't been trained by Robin D'Angelo, you've never been a victim of racism, you're probably completely unaware of it and perpetuating it all the time. Quote, by definition, this is D'Angelo, racism is a deeply embedded historical system of institutional power. Okay, in other words, you could be a morally perfect person without sin, but totally guilty of racism. In your heart, you could be a morally perfect person without a shred or ounce of racism in you and totally guilty of racism, particularly white supremacy, because you live in a racist system. You live in a society built on it, driven by it, shaped by it at every turn. Now, 
only white people essentially can be racist because only white people can hold the power. That's the big idea. That only white people can be racist in America, not because racism can't be in the heart of a black person or brown person or what have you, but because white people wield the political power, if you will, in in America. Now, non-white people can be racist too in that they could join this white supremacist program because some because in some form or fashion it might benefit them. So, this is how people are essentially categorized when we talk about who is racist in America. If racism is everywhere, perpetuated by ultimately people, who is racist, we essentially have three categories. Number one, you have victims. You have people oppressed by it. This is particularly referring to black people uh, in America. Number two, you have the intentional racist. You have people who who know about racism. They uh, know that the system is racist, uh, if you will, and they're, they're intentional about it. They like it. They use it to their advantage. And then the third category is essentially kind of just like your average, like I said, like your typical average white guy, white gal, not ever experienced racism and not trained in the proper critical methods, according to Robin D'Angelo, and mostly unaware of it all. It's totally invisible to them, but they are absolutely a part of the problem. They are perpetuating it. They're compromising it. They are a part of the problem until they they jump into the program of becoming an anti-racist, which we will get to and talk about later. But those are essentially like the three categories of people. You could even really boil it down, boil it down to two categories, and this is how it is getting uh, boiled down. Um, you have the those who are oppressed by the system and those oppressing. If you would just, you have those who are experiencing and victims of racism, and you have those perpetuating it, whether they are intentional or not. Intentions really don't matter; they really do not matter. The, the purity of your heart really doesn't matter. Um, uh, it's about whether you are being oppressed or you are oppressing intentionally or not. And so there's this third category that's trying to take those that, that are oppressing, knowingly or not, making them aware of the, them, training them in these critical methods, and then turning them into anti-racist, which again, we'll get to, uh, we will get to uh, later. Um, all right, so racism is about power. In, in a fundamental way, when when the woke movement talks about racism, uh, at, at least those uh, who are who are really kind of trained in these things, coming from academic circles, especially when they talk about racism, they probably have in mind this this system of power, um, and it's about the oppressed, and it's about the oppressive, and it's about the oppressed having the the, the power, typically political power. Uh, to oppress others for for the benefit of the of the oppressors. Now, uh, specifically, this is about white people holding power, oppressing non-white people. Specifically, non-white people referring to referring to black people. This is why the whole conversation today, even inside the church, quickly turns to and primarily focuses on the American government, um, though not solely the American government. But this is why it's, it, it is extremely politically charged um, uh, and, and, and is always talking about things like systems and structures and laws and policies and, and who to vote for and who not to vote for and this sort of thing. Because we're talking about this, this system that, that 
typically funnels to, and we'll talk about we'll talk about this later, funnels to political engagement um, in some form or fashion. Uh, typically, this is why the conversation turns away from talking about like the sinfulness of someone's heart, because essentially it doesn't matter. Because, like I said, you could be morally totally pure. And it just doesn't matter. You'd still be a part of this corrupt system. So Ibram Kendi says this, quote, if we focus on power instead of people, if we focus on changing policy instead of groups of people, and I should have started the quote different. This is why this is what he is saying to do, because I, um, I, I think I left out a part of the quote that would actually make sense of it. What he's saying is we need to focus on power instead of people. We need to focus on changing policy instead of groups of people. The real problem is power systems of power oppressing other people. America is a nation structured by white people using their power to oppress non-white people today, right now. That's happening all around us. Now, all of this is justified by the ideas of race. It's essentially like these this group of oppressors want to oppress other people. And, and in order to justify their oppression, the idea is that they made up this concept of race and, and certain skin colors being inferior to others, and that's how they justify their oppression. So white supremacy is going to say, we, we oppress black people because they are less than, which is an atrocious, evil, wicked idea, of course. It's a racist idea. But that's, that's kind of where race and skin color comes into play um, in all of this. In summary, try to wrap up this uh, episode here, looking at the time. In summary, you can be an oppressive racist while condemning racism, just by living an ordinary American life because racism refers to the powerful, invisible social system that everyone is shaped by that oppresses non-white people, particularly black people. Tisby writes, quote, the relative invisibility of these racialized structures to white Christian often leads them to unknowingly compromise with racism. So, so white Christians, it, it's totally normal and typical for them to just be unknowingly compromising with uh, racism. In your compromising with racism, you are complicit with racism, and thus you remain someone perpetuating it. There's no neutrality. There's no neutrality. You are either uh, fighting against racism, you are either fighting for it purposefully, or you're like the average typical person who's compromising with all of it and you don't even know until you've been trained to see it. Now, right now you might be thinking, but Colin, after hearing all of that, I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. I don't think in those ways. I'm not a racist. I don't, I don't pick where to go eat lunch based on skin color. Um, I, I, I would never vote for a politician, a, a, a political leader, if they held racist ideas. You know, I'm not a racist. I can't, I, I don't identify uh, it, it, with these systems. I, 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 I'm not that. Here is the woke answer to that kind of thinking. Because racism is so deeply woven in the fabric of our society and in your childhood, you're not even aware of it. That's the response. The reason you're saying you're not racist is because it's so deeply embedded in your way of life, you can't even see it. It's so natural to you. Um, and, and in fact, and this is what is so key, and this is where all this touches the ground and makes conversation about all this so difficult, your resistance to this, your quote, I'm not a racist, is actually a sign of your racism. 
It is a sign of it. This is a core tenet to Robin D'Angelo's whole argument in white fragility. This is what white fragility is. White fragility is the fragility of a white person in this whole conversation when they start trying to say, no, I'm, I'm not a racist. That's just your white fragility. That's just your, your aversion to admit you are actually a racist and you, you like these systems and things that work to your benefit. So, so when, a, when a person says, I'm not a racist, particularly a white person, I'm not a racist, this is actually proof of your racism. Again, the assumption is that you are a racist. And so when you respond with any kind of disagreement about anything I just said, uh, at least any of the, the major tenets of what I just said, any kind of resistance, at least for someone like Robin DiAngelo, um, who again was on Jimmy Fallon, uh, uh, promoting, I believe, this book. Huge, influential person. Pastors recommending her book to their churches. Any kind of resistance, any kind of significant disagreement is simply proof. It's proving her, her assumption uh, that you are, in fact, a racist and that everything is true about about America being totally racist through and through. Um, all right. We're going to stop there. We're going to get into the next episode, again, for time's sake, to talk about the reality that this is a this is a worldview. It's a way of seeing the entire world. It is uh, informed significantly by something called critical race theory and intersectionality. Um, and we're going to get into examples, um, examples of, of racism, because you may be going, okay, this all seems kind of vague, systems, structures, institutions, policies. What does it actually look like? Um, or, or at least what, what, what are people saying that racism actually looks like and does? We'll get into that next episode. And then we're going to uh, move into a lot more uh, regarding these uh, big ideas and, and particularly um, uh, what seems to be very unclear about the big idea of wokeness. So until next time, hope this is helpful so far. We'll continue unpacking it uh, next week.